A significant marker in my spiritual life was 9-11. This is at the beginning of my senior year in high school. I've been reading the Bible a lot and getting very serious about my faith and kind of on fire for Jesus, just wanting to tell everyone about Christ. Then this event happens that to me was really cataclysmic. I mean, it was to everyone, but it was very cataclysmic. And it, I guess it kind of shook my faith to, to see, wait, these people have flown these planes into buildings in the name of religion. Is what I believe really true? Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the CPT Podcast. Today, our guest is Matthew Wilcoxon, who is a CPT fellow and the Associate Rector of Church of the Resurrection in Washington, D.C. We're talking with Matthew today about his story of becoming a pastor theologian. Matthew, we're delighted to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for being with us, brother. It's great to be here, Todd. Thanks for having me. For sure, yeah. And uh, we are excited to talk to you. Uh, I feel like there's a dozen, more than a dozen things that we uh, could talk about and want to get to. Uh, but before we dive into that, we just want to hear how you're doing personally, you and the family and, and your church family. These obviously are uh, tumultuous and intense and, and uh, challenging days, both with coronavirus and, and George Floyd's murder and um, protests and things. And you are serving in uh, on Capitol Hill at uh, Church of the Resurrection. So you're in the epicenter of so many things. How are you doing on a personal level and how's your church family doing with everything? Uh, so it's been about three months exactly since uh, we've been mainly at home. And uh, I've, I've been telling people the first month was a lot of fun. Um, mm. And you know, oh, this is kind of novel uh, to do (laughs) (laughs) services online and to just hang out with the kids. Um, (laughs) Month two was really hard uh, for us, my wife and I, my kids are loving it, but we were worn out. And then the last month has felt like we've settled into a bit of a groove um, with our kids. So, you know, it's hard with, we've got a three-year-old at home uh, along with a nine and a 10-year-old. So trying to help Mm. them do their schoolwork and then the, the nine and 10 year old and keep the three year old occupied and then do anything else is, uh, is exhausting. But yeah. thanks be to God. We're good. The, these, um, our kids are, are, uh, foster kids that we've adopted. And, um, yes. it, in some ways we've never had this amount of time together in a concentrated way because we've mm-hmm. been at school mm-hmm. and work. And so it's been a really good bonding time for us. So there's a, a good side to it. Uh, our church here, um, where I'm the associate rector is, is doing really well. Um, by God's grace, I think we've, we've as clergy and staff have responded really well and done everything we can to keep people, uh, engaged in one another's lives and in the life of Mm. the church, uh, and it's been easy in some ways for us, easier than people in a lot of other areas in the country, because most of our people have jobs that can go quickly to being done remotely. Um, they are tech savvy and happy to hop on, you know, online worship. And so we're yeah. really, um, we kind of, we have it easy in a lot of ways. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the recent, 
uh, racial justice issues have have been a big deal uh, yeah. for us. And um, both in terms of personally, our kids are black, like like yours yes. are, Todd. Um, yes. And uh, and then all also th- as a Matthew, church, all three of your kids, all three of your kids are are black. Is that right? Yeah, they're sibling set, African American yeah. kids. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, so we're doing okay, but I do mm. feel like we're getting we're in a bit of a, a weird space now where it's like, are we reopening or are we not? Yes. And what are, what does the government allow us to do? But then also what what do people want to do is, yes. is a different question. And that's so, a that's a tension, isn't it? Right. Absolutely. Knowing how to knowing how to, pa- how to how to be a good citizen and and sensitive and wise and yeah. uh, and yet everybody is uh, is very eager to to reconnect and worship and get on with with normal life again. So Matthew, what is it like uh, serving and ministering on Capitol Hill? I mean, I would imagine you know it's been an intense time last couple of months for all of us, and last couple of weeks especially. Uh, um, you know, uh, me living in Indianapolis, Zach in Chicago, but being on Capitol Hill, it's got to be, I, I would assume, doubly or triply intense for you and for your church family. Is that is that an accurate perception of things? Is that right? It it is intense. I, I don't know exactly how it compares with folks in other places, but, um, you know, the city is uh, historically has been called chocolate city. Uh, used to mm. be, you know, about two thirds African-American. Now it's maybe 48, wow. 49% African-American. Um, and so we, we live in a city that's about half, half black and is historically wow. even more than that. And um, so, you know, our neighbors are African-American, uh, all, almost all of them. And we're trying to figure out how to, to love them um, mm. in this time. Uh, and we do, you know, at all times. So, so race is very much present in our city at a micro level. Yeah. And then it is, it is the tricky thing about being on Capitol Hill specifically is that most of our people work in government whether it's mm-hmm. Congress or a federal agency or a policy think tank. And um, they're wrestling with issues uh, and trying to be faithful to Christ and learn and grow, but then their jobs are tied to certain political positions. And so as everything's yeah. so polarized, we as pastors, you know, have to help them navigate these difficult waters. I mean, it's, it's very easy for a young person to come here and if they're in a certain political party to just get plugged in and their career advancement uh, is, is so tied to ideology uh, that, that they can sort of stop learning and growing. Um, Yes. Right. And so, and they're very smart people, but, but to see that and so to, to help them as disciples to continue to learn and grow and, and deal with the complexity of navigating a political system as Christians and maintain fidelity to Christ and what he calls them to is, is challenging. I would imagine. And do you, do you know, Matthew, do you have a, a fairly diverse kind of politically, ideologically, politically diverse congregation? And, and does that make it even more complicated? Uh, I don't have hard data, but I think it's about 60%, maybe 65% 
somehow in conservative politics, and then uh-huh. 35 to 40% are either, you know, more left-leaning, Democrat-leaning. Yes. Uh, yes. And so we have, we have a pretty, um, for D.C. especially, a pretty uh, diverse political uh, affiliations mm. within our, our uh, church. And, um, you know, that, that's good. I think what, one of the things that happens here is some influential churches, they have higher up officials that attend them and they become very monolithic politically. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, we don't have a lot of movers and shakers. We have a lot of really interesting, talented, younger people. Yeah. Uh, and, and, that's, um, and that's probably helps, right, without these high-profile, politically-aligned folks in the congregation that are sending signals to others about the, the nature or the composition of the congregation. Is that right? Is that fair? Right, right. And, and we haven't made it safe for those higher uh, officials to be part of our church either, oh, okay. if that makes sense, in yes. terms of yeah. um, not towing a line or, or we'll say things that um, – have offended, uh, particularly, you know, right wing political views in the last few years. Um, so, uh, not to get too political there, but yeah, yeah, that's the, and does it make it challenging? Um, yes, I think we've had a few people over time be uncomfortable at our church, but what's yeah. happened through that is I think we've learned and grown and learn the right ways to make people uncomfortable when it's Christ doing it. And then mm. it's also allowed through a little bit of pain, a lot of culture to develop where people don't expect their church to perfectly map onto one side of the political aisle or the other. So I, I'm really pleased with yeah. where our church is through these things. And that's, this is not mm. um, largely my work. It's the work of, um, my rector, our rector, Dan Clare, and uh, some other yeah. folks that have been here for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great team that you've got out there. Dan Clare has been out to the CPT conference and has been a, a friend and an a, and a ally of the CPT, and, and you all have a great work going out there. We're here with Matthew Wilcoxon, who is a CPT fellow, and we're talking with Matthew about his story, his uh, education, call to ministry. But before we get back to that conversation, Matthew, you're going to be joining us in the fall as one of our plenary speakers at our conference on a theology of politics. Uh, And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, why you're excited to come and uh, speak at the event, why you think it's an important topic uh, given our moment uh, as a church and as a nation? Well, I think we're in a time where it's clear that politics is, as, as a lot of commentators have said, the new religion uh, mm-hmm. of many people in our country. And one of the things about our segment of Christianity, evangelical Protestantism, is we don't have uh, a very well-developed way to think about politics. And I think we're in a a really fascinating time where there are a lot of good thinkers and a lot of good pastor theologians who are drawing on historic resources of the church to develop a 
a framework for thinking about Christian engagement with politics in a way that doesn't uh, allow the church to become captive to an alien agenda, but allows us to bear witness in the midst of political engagement in positive uh, ways that are faithful to the gospel. And so uh, there's a lot of difficult questions within that and, and uh, hard decisions that people have to make. But I think having that conversation uh, at CPT is going to be great for uh, those pastors and aspiring pastor theologians to, to participate in. So I'm excited. Yeah, that's great. And uh, we won't hold you to anything. I know we're a few months out, but have you thought just, just a tiny little teaser on what, what you're going to share uh, in, in a few months? You know, the theme I keep coming back to is the theme of martyrdom. And that sounds really melodramatic. Uh, hmm. and, I, and I don't mean that we're all going to face death, but that we learn to think about political engagement in terms of witness rather than winning. Hmm. Uh, so it doesn't mean we have to be unsuccessful in certain things we do, but that rather than, than focus on how do we win, we focus on how do we bear witness to the truth in our political engagement. So uh, I'm, I'm going along those lines. Uh, I know you've got some good Augustinians there. I love Augustine. Sure. Um, also really been reading a lot of, of Bonhoeffer and, um, mm-hmm. and thinking about him as well. So That's great. Yeah. If, if any of our listeners uh, want to find out more about the conference, you can find all that information, including registration and questions that you might have about the coronavirus um, at cptconference.com. So uh, thanks for talking to us for a little bit about that, Matthew. And let's get back now to our uh, main conversation uh, about your story and call to ministry and becoming a pastor theologian. Uh, Matthew, we want to come back to particularly what you all have been doing as a congregation in terms of racial justice issues in recent weeks and want to drill down a little bit more on that. But before we do that, can we take a detour into your story, the story of your life and development as a person and a pastor? Um, And you don't come from D.C. You're not a native of uh, D.C. You, I think, were born and reared in California. Is that right? Yeah, I was born in Visalia, California. So I got to represent the Central Valley here. There it is. Tell us about that and your family background. Uh, yeah, so I was born in Visalia uh, to a uh, single 19-year-old mother. Um, mm. And she, she wasn't a Christian um, when she had me. Um, I... She, I don't know, I never knew my father very well. I met him maybe a dozen times. Um, when I was about three years old, she was pregnant with my little sister, mm. uh, with another man. And um, she was thinking about uh, have, actually having an abortion at that mm. time. And um, just her life was, she was not in a good place. And um, th- she had at her job that where she was working, uh, someone was sharing the gospel with her, uh, and saying, Mm -hmm. you know, very simply that Christ loves you and he wants to give you new life. And, um, you know, so she, she started going to church and became a Christian. And so I, I grew up from age three on going to church, uh, Calvary chapel church churches. Um, and, uh, you know, hearing the gospel. So from a young age, I, I just always remember hearing and learning uh, about Jesus. And um, 
yeah, so that, that, that's where it all started. Um, I didn't really, you know, I, there's never a day that I, I would have said, I, I don't believe in Christ. Uh, but I did mm. have a real awakening experience later in my, in my high school days where, where some things really started clicking for me. Yeah. Tell us about that. What, what, what was, what was that? Um, you know, I had gone to, um, I had probably prayed the sinner's prayer a hundred times, uh, <laughs> in, uh, in my life. And, and, uh, were you an anxious disposition, Matthew? You just needed to keep praying that thing to get, get your assurance sorted out. What was the, what, what why well, were you praying that a hundred times? A bit of a cultural thing. I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't have said I was especially anxious as, as a young person, but I remember doing that as well. Just about every, you know, every spare moment where you're feeling just any type of angst, um, or any church related event where there's an altar call, you're like, well, let's make, let's just try again, make sure it takes, couldn't hurt. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what your experience was like with that, Matt, but I know Todd, you, you were an, an, an adult convert or at least almost an adult. Um, yes. So the, the, the junior high, let's pray the sinner's prayer experience again, just to make that sure that eluded me. Yeah, yeah, you you dodged that. <laughs> I did it once and it stuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were better at you were better at playing this. Matthew, not to derail from from your story. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I well, first of all, so so Todd's going to psychoanalyze me, but yes, I, I think I am of a or was of a very anxious disposition. <laughs> you know, uh, was very worried about going to hell. You know, I was in very. Um, you know, that, that was the, the way the gospel was presented pr- principally is you are going to go to hell. So you've got to get Jesus into your heart. And I think also mm. my interpretation of a lot of the evangelicalism that I came from is that they, we replaced the sacrament of baptism with this very individualistic sacrament of, of the sinner's prayer. Yeah. And there's nothing tangible to latch onto mm. in the same way in public that yeah. you are now part of the body of Christ. Yeah. So you're always worried that has this taken, you know? Um, but anyways, I, I ended up going to some outreach event at about age 16, jun- junior year of high school, early junior year of high school. And um, I, I had you know, not been walking closely with the Lord in any meaningful way, even though I still believed in him. And, um, I again prayed this prayer and, and it was interesting. It was a real awakening that, that some of my desires started to change mm-hmm. and, you know, I was still hanging out with the same people, but not really comfortable doing the things that I'd been doing. And, uh, I started listening to sermons all the time, which is pretty weird for a junior in high school to do, I, th- I think. And yeah. um, how, uh, how old are you, Matt? Uh, I am 36. Okay. Yeah. So in high school there, uh, for you, I guess there would have been some, I'm just getting at it's It's a little before like sermons were super, super widespread online, but they were starting <laughs> out. No, I mean, I, I went from listening to punk rock and, like late nineties emo and stuff to like turning on the Christian radio station. Right. Okay. Yeah. To hear podcast. Uh, 
Yeah, some some preaching good and some not so good in <laughs> retrospect. Mm. Uh, but yeah, and you know, a, a significant marker in my spiritual life, believe it or not, was was nine eleven. Um, oh wow! So this is at the beginning of my senior year in high school. I've been reading the Bible a lot and getting very serious about my faith and kind of on fire for Jesus, just wanting to tell everyone about Christ. Uh, Yes. And then this event happens that to me was really cataclysmic. I mean, it was to everyone, Mm -hmm. but it was very cataclysmic. And it, I guess it kind of shook my faith to, Mm. to see, wait, these people have flown these planes into buildings in the name of religion is what I believe really true. Wow. How, all of a sudden the globe was thrust upon me in a way that it, it wasn't like I was totally ignorant, but I was pretty ignorant about, yeah. you know, what happened in the rest of the world. And, um, so the, the problem of pluralism was sort of there. Mm. Uh, and the question of, do I really believe this is, is Jesus really true? And so, um, that's it's actually set me off into what I would describe in retrospect as probably something that could have been diagnosed clinically as depression, uh, but it was also, uh, but but also I think importantly spiritually a, a dark night of the soul, uh, a lot of searching and a lot of praying, a lot of and and that really set me off studying theology uh, in in some fumbling way of going, okay, I got to learn more about. Yes. Jesus and about the Bible. And, um, so it was a real crucible I'd say for Mm. maybe, I don't know. It didn't just end dramatically, but for, for a a long time, a a year and a half or two. Did it carry with you into college then Matthew? Yeah. So I started out, um, going to a secular college and I was, um, you know, planning on majoring in near East studies. Huh? Where did Um, you go? By the way, where'd you go? Uh, so I started out at community college the first year, yeah. uh, and I was, and I got a, Then I got a scholarship to, to do near East studies at U of A. Mm. Uh, and it was at that time though, that I was just realizing I want to study the Bible and theology. And I, I had uh. come to, I believe Jesus is the way and, and I want to give my whole life to him. I have no idea what that means. You know, at the time mm. I thought it was it must be missions, um, kind Mm. of, you know, I don't think I had categories anyways. And so I, instead of going to the university of Arizona, I went to, um, to Biola university. So to do biblical studies and, Mm. and that was uh, a very just sort of random decision. So my parents hadn't gone to college. Um, my pastors hadn't been to seminary and, and it told me seminary is cemetery. And, uh, wow. when I finally got the courage to just not listen to them, yes. I didn't know that I could do my degree in anything and then go to do a seminary degree as a master's degree. I had no idea what, what the options were for different Christian colleges. I just picked the one that kind of looked like they loved Jesus and had a good college. And, and I just went, uh, applied and went. So, wow. Wow. And, and, 
do you where, where would you do you do you like the language of a call to ministry, Matthew? And would where would you place that or trace that in your own story and narrative? Is it in this time and in these years? Yeah, it was very early uh, for me. It was, I mean, it kind of came in a I, out of a fundamentalist context. I have uh-huh. this experience with Jesus. Well, the only option for me at that time is I have to give my whole life to him, which is, is a true thing theologically. Um, but, you know, there's a very world denying yeah. side to this that I have to, the only kind of way I thought to do that was in Christian ministry mm-hmm. of some sort. And, and often the ideal was a very radical form of it uh, mm. as well. And so, but through that, you know, I took steps that have shaped my life and have continued to sense God's calling mm. uh, to ministry. So uh, it's probably an unhealthy sort of way of thinking about it when I was 19, 20, 21. And yet God and his sovereignty was, was yes. calling me to do this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And were you, a, were you a good student? Um, were academic, did academics come easily naturally to you? So, uh, I, when I was younger, I was always testing very, very high in, and in like gifted and talented programs. Uh And, um, but I think my mom won't listen to this, uh, hopefully, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, my, I had, there was some family dysfunction and, uh, I was a child that didn't have a lot of discipline and in high school i I don't, I don't remember doing a lot of homework in high school. I would just pass all the tests. Yes. Right. Kind of writing, and I think, writing your gifts and your intellectual gifts, academic gifts without a ton of work. Yeah. And then I didn't really come alive intellectually. Well, I would always read a lot. I have to say, like I would, I was a news junkie as at like age 13 and mm. all these things, but um, I didn't really come alive to academics until I, got serious about my Christian faith. Yes. And, and that made me just want to learn about philosophy and literature yeah. and theology. And, um, so in a lot of ways, a, a late bloomer, I, I, you know, I've always had a lot, had some intellectual gifts, but, uh, th- they were, you know, lying dormant. That is fascinating yeah. to me. That's not an uncommon story for people that we talk to on this podcast um, that I was not especially academically inclined until I got to know the Lord or got serious about my faith or started to pursue this call. I I can think of, you know, a handful of fellows that have had um, a similar kind of life trajectory. Uh, They were not on paths to become academics or to, pursue a terminal degree until this, this calling. Um, yeah, there's something, there's something, uh, there's something bookish about the Christian faith. Truly. Yeah. Um, the I mean, faith, you're an the faith, guy, faith seeking, Matthew, so faith sure seeking understanding. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Not to, I just, I just wanted to note that because I, I find that interesting. No, that's, that's exactly right. That's my own story as well. Not to divert 
uh, on, yep. onto my own story, but that's that's exactly my same story. Matthew, I love when you said, I don't remember doing much homework in high school. That was exactly my experience until I, in fact, in fact, when I uh, became a Christian in the middle of my junior year of high school and ended up failing calculus my senior year of high school because I sat in the back of the class and read Richard Tarnas's Passion of the Western Mind, A History of Western Philosophy, when I should have been following the calculus lecture. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> You know, so it was like this ridiculous picture of a a mind, you know, waking up to reality and to the world because of conversion and Christian faith. uh, When before that, I just wasn't real. I mean, I was I was I was in calculus for crying out loud as a senior in high school. I tested out of of math for college through the AP exam. So, but I just was not very interested in any of it until I became a Christian. It was really wild. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to tune in next week for part two of our conversation with Matthew Wilcoxon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, Anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.